Hello, wrestling fans, and welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, an old-school wrestling podcast about good conversations and great stories. I am your host, Brian R. Solomon, and welcome to episode 71, in which my special guests are Kurt Fuller and James Rodé Rodriguez of the brand-new wrestling-themed play Masters of Puppets, currently playing at the Legacy Theater in Brantford, Connecticut. We will get to that in just a moment. Before we get to that enlightening conversation, I want to give you guys a few important updates. want to keep you up to date, of course, on the doings with Irresistible Force, the life and times of Gorilla Monsoon. A lot of people have been asking me about it. I am still in the interview phase, although I'd say I'm probably more than halfway through. Been having some great, great conversations lately. I, I just spoke earlier this week to the irreplaceable Irish Davy O'Hannon, who was very close to Gino and had some great stories. I spoke to an Ithaca College alumnus, Curtis Raymond, who was an athlete at Ithaca and knew Gorilla or Bob Tiny Morella, as he was known in those days on campus, told me a lot of great stuff. And actually this week, I am also scheduled to talk to the daughter of Bobby the Brain Heenan about the very special relationship between Bobby and Gorilla. So hard at work, just wanted everybody to know that. More updates to come. Also want to give you a reminder, the issue number 32 of Inside the Ropes magazine is currently on sale, 32 and 33, but this week I'm talking about 32. Got Cody Rhodes and Roman Reigns on the cover from WrestleMania. There's a story in there that I've spoken about that I wrote on the 25 greatest, most memorable heel turns. So I think a lot of you will enjoy that article, or I hope you will. It's issue number 32 of Inside the Ropes on sale at InsideTheRopesMagazine.com. And finally, I wanted to mention something about my Michigan trip that I neglected to mention last week, and I really buried the lead because it was the most important part of my entire trip, during which I finally got to meet some members of the Farhat family while I was out there. I had dinner with Carrie Farhat, the daughter-in-law of the Sheik, the the wife of Tommy Farhat, and I also had dinner with her daughter, the beloved granddaughter of the original Sheik, Susie Farhat Sandin, and it was truly an honor. The honor and pleasure was all mine to be able to sit down with the family members and believe me when I tell you that they showed me some things that would be the envy of any wrestling fan and historian. I'm talking about the personal scrapbooks and mementos of the Sheik Ed Farhad himself, pictures the likes of which have never really been publicly seen, pictures from childhood, pictures from his early, very early wrestling career, personal home pictures with friends and family. It really was an honor 
to be able to see these things and to be able to talk with the family of the Sheikh about the life and achievements and legacies of this ultimate of pro wrestling legends. So it really was kind of a full circle moment for me, a lot of closure there. I was glad to be able to do this. I wish that I had been able to do it when Tommy and Eddie Jr. were still with us, but I'm glad that I had a chance to do it at last. So thank you so much to Carrie and to Susie for uh, meeting with me, and it really was a pleasure. Thank you. Now, let's get to the matter at hand. I know on last week's episode, I had promised that this week my guest would be Abraham Josephine Reisman, the author of the new Vince McMahon biography, Ringmaster. However, we're going to save that interview for next week because I got a very special opportunity this week. I recently mentioned that I went to go see the wrestling-themed play Masters of Puppets in Brantford, Connecticut. And as a result of that, I was given the opportunity to interview the producer and the star of that show who have very special wrestling connections, as some of you may know. James Rodé Rodriguez, the star of Psych, who's the producer of this play, he had some opportunities to appear on Monday Night Raw back in the day when they were co-promoting the show on the USA Network. But of course, I don't even need to tell you, if you're an old school wrestling fan, you know that Kurt Fuller, my other guest this week, was the star of No Holds Barred alongside Hulk Hogan in 1988, and I had the opportunity to speak to the both of them about making those movies and having those brushes with wrestling, as well as the play. And I'm going to take you to that conversation right now. Okay, so I've spoken on here about Masters of Puppets, the wrestling-themed play that I went to see in Brantford at the Legacy Theater, and I've been talking it up. And I'm proud and I'm excited this week to have with me two individuals from that production. In fact, I have the producer and I have the star of the production. I'm going to introduce them now. And I think that you're going to find them fascinating because what you may not realize, or maybe you do, is that they both have, uh, even well before this play, crossed paths with WWE and with pro wrestling in one form or another. So that'll be interesting. We'll talk about that. Uh, the first person I'm going to introduce is someone who grew up as a huge wrestling fan as a kid, from what I understand. Um, he is a director, producer, an actor. He's appeared in many films. What he's best known for is the TV franchise Psych, in which he plays, of course, the lead character, Sean Spencer. Uh, that was a show that was on the USA Network for years, so there was a lot of co-promotion, cross-promotion with Monday Night Raw that happened, which we'll talk about. I'm talking about none other than James Rodé Rodriguez. Welcome to the show, James. Thanks for having me, Brian. All right, and if you thought that was long-winded, wait till I get to this one. Uh, my other distinguished guest is a fellow English literature major, so I already like him. Um <laughs> He's worked with a wide array of directors, including David O. Russell, Harold Ramis, Ivan Reitman, just to name a few. Um, he also was a member of the cast for the Psych TV franchise. Um, these days, he is a, a regular member of the cast of the CBS uh, TV drama Evil. But he's also widely known for such films as Midnight in Paris, Anger Management, Pursuit of Happiness, Ray, Scary Movie, Stuart Saves His Family, Bonfire of the Vanities, and probably most well-known to kids of the 80s and 90s for his despicable roles in Wayne's World as the awful Pardemeyer in Ghostbusters 2, 
And, of course, the equally despicable and evil network TV mogul Brell in the notorious, infamous, beloved WWF production known as No Holds Barred, which I think this play might be his ultimate revenge for. I'm talking about the great character actor Kurt Fuller. Kurt, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Oh, thank you for that nauseating introduction. <laughs> well, I copied that whole concept from Gilbert Gottfried's amazing Colossal podcast where they would <laughs> give these and seemingly endless introductions. So <laughs> thank you guys thank you. for doing this. And first of all, let me just say that I saw the play. I loved the play. It's a lot of fun, and I had a lot of fun with it. And I think you don't you don't have to be a wrestling fan to enjoy the play, but it is kind of a gift if you are. There's a lot of Easter eggs in there. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Um, we we set out to write a, a play that was accessible to anyone because of its themes. Uh, but the truth is, is it's steeped pretty deeply in the world of professional wrestling. And that's why we provide a glossary of terms in the middle of the playbill uh, so that you can uh, keep up as you go along. But uh, yeah, you're right. You're right, Brian. Knowing the business a little bit, I think it's just a bonus. And I spoke actually. Oh, sorry, Kurt. Yes. Oh, well, I, I just wanted to add and, and do a little. Better than James. Uh, wrestling. Really, for me, it's just me. It's about sex, money, and power. And uh, this play is about sex, money, and power in taking taking place behind the scenes of uh, basically, you know, the WWE. Although we don't say that with the WIW, and don't don't forget it. Right, the WIW, and you play Victor Cragston, right? That's Victor your character's Cragston. name. Yeah, a, a misunderstood man. Yeah. <laughs> well i you know it's funny i i think and i mentioned this to you the other night after the show is that because i i worked for wwe and i've been around vince over the years more than anybody should ever want to be but i can tell you there are it's fascinating to me and i know you've been around him as well there are idiosyncrasies there are turns of phrase there are things that he actually says and does which are there and you know i know it's not him and we want to say that giant uh, asterisk it is not Vince McMahon but it's it's very thinly veiled well I, I'm sure I mean the the writing is you know comes from uh the, the author of this play the playwright really knows the world of wrestling that's all that's all him and maybe a little bit James uh and I would never attempt to play Vince McMahon who could play Vince McMahon but Vince McMahon, and he would probably love to do it. But uh, I just play the guy as he's written. And if he comes out with a little bit Vince McMahon, a little Donald Trump, a little old Ted Turner, a little whatever, uh, it's really a combination of powerful, flawed men, really. Yeah, and I would only add that... Uh... Kurt is not in, inherently masculine enough to to do a, a true Vince correct. McMahon impression. So that's why we knew we were safe, no matter what. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> James, James's first note to me was, use your male voice. Use your man's voice. Because <laughs> well, my voice, that. it gets up, it gets up here. And Vince is, yeah. I mean, who could do Vince's voice? I don't know how he hasn't had his vocal cords replaced. I mean, unbelievable. Yeah, I don't know. Because it's just gotten raspier and heavier and deeper as the years have gone by. Wow. 
It yeah. just sounds like it hurts for him <laughs> to talk. I don't know how else to put it. Yeah. But uh, but I did. I spoke to Lawrence Davis, the playwright. We talked that night also. And I was just picking his brain because, again, this is from my point of view as someone who's worked in and around the periphery of the wrestling business. And I cover it and I write about it and I talk about it. But there are things in there that, um, you know, like talking about, I think, the char- even the character of Rainy Days, who's got the fanny pack and he's always talking about selling out the the superdome in louisiana <laughs> and all these like you know i, I know <laughs> i know these people i i know the people that he's talking about it it just it's it's very clever a lot of kind of smart inside stuff and i just want to say and i went in there not knowing what to expect that's the thing i went in there going okay are they gonna is this going to be by people that don't really get the business or understand it and just sort of kind of want to make fun of it and this kind of thing but but there, but it's grounded. It is grounded by this understanding, warts and all, of this insane business. Yeah, you know their their catchphrase is that they put smiles on peace, people's faces, and they make sure, <laughs> we make sure that we say that multiple times because the truth of the matter is they absolutely do. And this is not just uh, you know some sort of scathing behind the curtain dissertation of of professional wrestling. It's in many ways, a love letter. It's just, uh, it's just a, it's just a bloody one, you know. Like at at no point while we're showing you how the sausage is made, do we not also tell you the sausage tastes really good? Because both of those things are true, um, but they don't have to be mutually exclusive, you know. Right. And w- was there, uh, Kurt? I'm sorry. I didn't no, no. Step uh, nope. Nope. He said it all. Was there any sense that um, there that it might be too close to things? Because there are so many things in here, like talking about the sale, the potential sale to the Saudis and, you know, being uh, purchased by an MMA company and blah, 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 and things like that. These are very topical things. It almost feels like the play was written like right up to the moment before you guys went on stage. Uh, Was there any concern about you know, are we, are, is it, is it too much of a similarity? You know, I think I may have told you this uh, the other night, but you know, the playwright started working on this almost a decade ago and it was a lot of development that went into it. And some things were added later for sure, but the things that you mentioned were not, and that's, what's crazy. Hmm. Uh, he was basically like fortune telling. And that's why we couldn't take it out. Cause I was like, this is too, it's too rich. It's like you looked into a crystal ball. It's weird. Like the stuff about the Saudis was in there from the very beginning. Um, I mean, nobody was thinking about that 10 years ago. I certainly wasn't. Nobody, I don't even think they were in business with them then. At that yeah, time. Nobody, nobody would even guess that that there would be a, a world someday where, where Vince would actually let go of the, of the reins like, or, or sell this. Like it was unthinkable. So not only did he have the idea of a sale, but specifically the Saudis, I I feel like maybe the uh, the MMA thing came a little bit later. But there were there were points um, along the way where we just thought, oh, what's the what's the spiciest shit that we can dream up, and and then they became headlines. Uh, it was it was kind of freaky actually, but because those things happened, we we decided to you know treat them like gifts. Um, because you're right, it did make it feel like the play was about as topical as it could be set in this particular industry. 
And we just figured, you know, the universe was telling us something, which was, you know, you you got to keep it in. Yeah, there's some there's some sensitive things in there, very true to life, like even references to the the wrestler in, who in the play is called Angel, who killed his family that and is, all that. Yeah. It, very heavy stuff. And again, based on very real things that happened, based on people that I knew. And so sitting there is kind of it's it can it was a surreal experience for me for sure. Yeah, Angel Dunny is is certainly an amalgamation of a lot of really sad stories. I mean, if you, if I'm sure you have, if you go sample, you know, half of the Dark Side of the Ring episodes, it's right. just relentless, you know, the, the stories and, and what happened to these men and women. Uh, so we needed to represent that. We had to, because it's it's such a major, you know, slice of the pie here. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, it may it may feel more specific to one person than the other, but really, what what Angel Dunny is supposed to represent is, you know, exactly what he says in the play. What the fuck do you do to people? Um, and it just felt it, it felt irresponsible to me to to make a play about wrestling and and not shine a light on all of those stories as well. Absolutely. And even just like you mentioned, the dark side of the ring show, relentless is a great word because, and I've said this to other people, it's like when you gather it all together in one place and you make a show like that, um, it doesn't paint the greatest picture. It's it's pretty bleak, you know, and so like you said, you can't, you, you can't leave that out, especially because otherwise it just comes across as uh, just a puff piece or something. Yeah. And I, and I have to ask too about in terms of like getting this play to happen and get and bringing it together did and i guess in your case james too because you're the producer did your kind of awareness of, of pro wrestling and of wwe have anything to do with saying okay i think this would actually work this is an interesting concept and the same goes for you kurt too was it sort of like well i've been in this world before i've i've had a, a major brush with this world and yeah i think i could bring something to a to a project like this um, I'll start because James has started every other one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, it wasn't so much wrestling. It wasn't so much that it was about wrestling, which I don't know nearly as much as you or, or James. Uh, I know a little bit because of no holds barred and it piqued my interest for the ensuing years, but it was the character that uh, the character uh, of Victor Craxton is, uh, he's very complex. He's, I think he's very funny. He's very witty. Uh, and he's very, uh, he's not, I wouldn't call him evil. That's not a, that's not really, that's, that's the result of his actions, but he's very insecure. He's very insecure and he's very afraid of losing his power because that's how he defines himself. Like a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of people. And um, that was what was compelling to me to play the the yin and yang of uh, somebody, and the yin and yangs are very extreme. Okay, now you can talk, James. <laughs> Your yeah, turn, and, James. And, and Kurt was attached to this project essentially from the beginning. Like he he's sort of been the north star uh, for for most of this. Uh, we knew that if we ever could get it off the ground, he was committed to playing Victor, and that we could build. Uh, an incredible, you know, team around him. Uh, so that certainly helped. And it, it, it helped Lawrence 
Larry, Larry Davis. It helped Larry uh, uh, sort of stay stay on that line because he kind of knew he was writing uh, for a specific actor, which I think helps um, as well. And as far as like, did I think he could work? You know, wrestling is already theater, you know? And, and so if you think about other shows that have taken place, you know, the play that, the play that went wrong, noises off, like there's precedent for like theater about theater. Mm-hmm. And, yes. and to me, this was, this was no different. So it wasn't like, oh my gosh, we're taking this wild swing in the dark and I have no idea if it's going to work. It's like structurally, yeah, it should work. There's, you know, there's other shows out there that, that sort of exist, you know, as like a theater within a, a theatrical sort of construct. So I figured, yeah, we'll just have to figure out, like at one point there was a lot more wrestling in the play. And that was probably the, you know, the biggest question mark I had it was like, well, it's going to depend a lot on what space we find. And if we can actually put a, a wrestling ring on stage, like those kind of things. Um, once we knew we were at the legacy, a lot of that wrestling came out and I felt in like in many ways, it was actually better for the show. Um, but aside from like some logistical stuff, like I, I was pretty confident that, uh, that we could sell this, make it sell this thing. And, and I knew Kurt would be magnificent. This is his opus, by the way. You know, this is his, uh, this is his moment, you know? Well, how can I disagree? How can I disagree? <laughs> and I have to say, it sort of comes full circle in that in 1988, I believe, I played Thomas Brell. Uh, Wait, I didn't know he had a first uh, name. This is the first time I've yes, ever heard his first Tom name. Brell. Tom Brell. It was a complicated first name, Tom Brell. <laughs> Uh, the head of, I forget the name of the network now, but it was sort of a CNN network. Right. Uh, right. Ruthless, truly evil, truly one-dimensional uh, head of this place. And now I get to end as whoever you want to call him, but Victor Cragston, uh, a more, a much more dimensioned uh, character, uh, much better written than Tom Brell. So Tom Brell was my James. Don't leave. I'm talking about myself. Tom Brell. My God. You know what? When I talk about it, he starts to vomit, and that's all that was. Uh, Well, that started my career, and I'm sort of. I I don't think I'll do another play unless it's this play again, because honest to God, it's too much work. It's too hard. (laughs) I'm too old. I'm too lazy, and there's a lot of lines to learn, and it doesn't pay well at all. Okay. Well, I mean, of course, as everybody, it's fantastic. As everyone says, I mean, film acting and theater acting couldn't couldn't possibly be more different. So it's obviously such a huge uh, difference between having to do the two. But even just, uh, and believe me, we're going to get back to the Brell thing in a moment. Well, we don't uh, we don't have to. No, we will. We will. (laughs) All of my listeners are are thinking, get to know Holtzbart, get to know Holtzbart. But we'll get there. But. it, it impresses me because I think, and I, I think you're down, you, you downplay it a little, but I think an idea like this, there's a lot of people that would just sort of laugh it off and go, Oh, the, you know, nobody cares about wrestling. It's dumb, whatever. It's stupid. And, and, and it's, you know, so childish and, and it is often all these things, but people do care mm-hmm. very much about it. And so I think that maybe if, if it was someone who had no awareness of, of wrestling at all, I don't know if they wouldn't have, 
gone for an idea like this and and seen the potential in it. So I'm I'm glad that that you did because the end result is very very good and and Kurt you're excellent in it. I, I loved oh. your performance and it was Tell me more. I don't know what I didn't what what are you was, saying exactly? It was genuinely funny but at times also frightening. There's kind of like this undertone of he's a character who's funny but there's menace there. And I mean, obviously it becomes very blatant later in the play, but you can feel the menace. And I think it's very true to life when you, you know, playing it that way. Um, what you say about uh, maybe if uh, I would have said no to the play, if I didn't have a wrestling background, I understand that's a very uh, insightful comment, but I will say the play was too good. It was too good to not want to do, even if I didn't know what wrestling was, it was, just on a personal level, the way it's written, the way uh, the interpersonal relationships, the drama, the comedy, the action, it's just too good. I, I couldn't not do it. I didn't know I was going to do it for so little money, though. I will say that. <laughs> well, that's a recurring I mean, theme here. I, 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 well, yes, it is. It is. I'm angry about it. And it's not like James doesn't know. I mean, it's I also not like it hasn't been, it's, it also, it's been a recurring theme for 20 years. <laughs> oh right well yeah well it's never I, enough <laughs> i want to talk about that the, the the whole psych phenomenon because you know th that was something that when i first had posted that i you know came to see the play there were a lot of people going oh my god psych is one of my was one of my favorite shows i love it this is you know how did this happen and then people started because i know a lot of wrestling people bringing up the wrestling connections and because now, I worked at WWE from 2000 to 2007, which is, I believe, before Psych was on the air, if I don't have the, the dates in front of me here. But I do know how well they always did with the co-promotion of other shows that were on USA Network. There was a lot of that, well, you're on my show and then I'm on your show. So there was some of that with, with Psych. And I wanted to mention it because in preparation for this, I went and I rewatched, James, your Tour de Force 2012 appearance on Monday Night Raw, where you got to do, you actually got to ring announce a match between The Miz and who was then the WWE champion, CM Punk. So I, I have to ask, I can't have you here without asking you what that experience was like uh, being at Raw. It was fantastic. Um, I got a, I got what I guess I would call like a polite pop, which felt pretty good. I'd say so. Um, but then because I was with the Miz, like, and he was a heel, uh, I, I knew my job was to, you know, I was basically valeting a heel for the night. So then I went, I got into the ring and I was like, what can I do to give myself the cheapest, cheapest heat <laughs> that I could possibly get? And I ripped off the rock and people started booing immediately <laughs> and it worked. It was awesome. <laughs> That's right. Cause they were on the verge of saying, you know, they seemed to like you when you came out. So they were on the verge of doing that and cheering. And, and then you, you turned it around. I had to turn it around. I was the Miz's side piece. <laughs> right. <laughs> and also your disappointment at the end, the way you sold the fact that, you know, that he had lost to the Miz. Yeah. Yeah. But and, and you had had the Miz on the, the occasion for that was that Mike, the Miz, was had been on psych, I think, that week or something. So it was like yeah. a cross promotional thing. Right. We did that. We had done that a couple of times. Um, you know, we, we had Cena on and then Dulé and I both were supposed to go 
host raw and I had appendicitis like the night before and I was literally about to have my appendix sucked out and had to call Dulé from the hospital. Dulé, who is not a wrestling fan uh, and was planning on, you know, letting me carry most of the water and said, <laughs> dude, you're going to have to go this solo. Ah, ha, ha, you're doing a bit. Nah, dude, I promise I'm not doing a bit. I'm, in fact, I'm about to lose consciousness. Uh, so he held that against me for years. <laughs> that he had to go do Raw by himself. And dude, he That's took right. a bump. I don't know if you remember this at all, but when he hosted Raw by himself, because I was laid up, um, he took a slap, like a hard slap to the face from um, Foxy. He was doing commentary. And she came down and they got into a thing and she told him like she was going to slap him and delay trying to be like, cool. He's like, well, you know, you, I'll, you can really slap me and I'll sell it. He's like, don't hold back. He said that to a wrestler and she slapped the mess out of him and his little his little headphones fell off and like he went down in like a real way. So he, he, had, a, <laughs> he had a really, he had a really intense. And I was like, dude, you, you actually took a bump. That's cool. He's like, nah, man. No, that wasn't cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want to tell a wrestler that because I mean that's what if you if you're if you're in a match with somebody and you tell them like I really want you to lay it in and make it look good, they will. I mean, they, they will do it. They will do it in a way that is not gonna permanently harm you, but it will hurt like hell. Uh for we, the record, I would not have said that to Alicia Fox. I would have said uh you make it feel like a feather is touching my face and I'll do the rest. <laughs> Well, because they're good at doing that, too. We even did when I was because I, I worked in the magazine division. I worked for WWE magazine and we were going to do this thing where we were <laughs> they had this bright idea to have the writers take some of the moves of the wrestlers. And and it and even they just wouldn't do it like even they were going to do the slap to the face. And I remember one of the wrestlers, it was Matt Stryker. I don't know if, I don't think he was there when you were there, but we were basically, okay, we were begging him. Like, we really want you to do it. And he wanted no part of it because he said, uh -huh. if I really do it to you the way you're asking me to do it, you're not going to like it. And and I, I don't want to get sued or anything, even though we work for the same company. So, I mean, yeah, that's that's no joke. I, I'd forgotten all about that because that, right, You, I didn't know the story behind it. But yeah. maybe, maybe you would have taken it. I think I called in from uh, my recovery room and was like a voice on a phone during a segment uh, with John and Dulé because he was his he was in a program with Seamus at the time. It was during one of Seamus's heel runs, and uh, I called in while they were you know he was getting ready for for his match that night, and I was all doped up on morphine, and uh, I can't even remember what I said. And I can't believe that they allowed me to do that, knowing how heavily under the influence of drugs I was. But that was my first foray into uh, hosting Raw, was one side of a blind phone call. And then I got to come and do it myself. And it was just, it was a blast. And by the way, like, I've gotten to know quite a few, uh, quite a few of those, of those cats. And, and they're just, they're just wonderful human beings, uh, a whole bunch of them. Um, and it's 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 allowed me to both enjoy and appreciate wrestling on a, on a whole different level once you know those people actually become human beings and not you know life-size action figures and you realize what they what they do and what they put themselves through 300 nights a year 
and uh, and that they do it all for our entertainment. It's I just have a profound respect and appreciation uh, for their craft. And I've come to appreciate it in a completely different way as an adult, um, obviously, than I did as a child. And uh, I think I'm a better man for it is what I'm trying to say. And I and Kurt's told me that in the past. So, <laughs> Well, I, I think it's important because I've said this. Oh, a little bar, but yes, you are. <laughs> I, I've said this to other people on here, how it's important to it, it's so easy for people to forget that these are human beings. These are people and these are performers. Um, a lot of times it's just uh, there's this knee jerk reaction of just like, well, OK, wrestling's fake. So these are not real people or whatever. But, you know, and, and even with in your case, Kurt, I've seen interviews and read things where of you talking about no holds barred. And you have been very complimentary of Hulk Hogan as a, as a performer on the movie. And look, I say that because it's very easy these days to laugh. And I'm not saying Hulk Hogan is Lawrence Olivier or anything like that. But, you know, because people will very easily, the knee-jerk response is to make fun of the movie and to make fun of him in the movie. But you've been very gracious in what you've had to say about Hulk in that movie. Um, I have, and, and, and I think it's honest. Uh, if you take anybody, okay, and say to them who's never acted before and say, okay, you're the lead of this movie. You're the star. The whole movie's about you. You've never acted before. Good luck. I I say no one would have done better than Hulk or Terry, as he insisted I call him. Uh, <laughs> he was he was great. He was. I mean, is it award winning? No. Was I award winning? Well, painfully no. <laughs> uh, but I defy anybody to do better than him to 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 be the center of a movie. Okay, have a lot of lines, do a lot of comedy and drama. It's hard acting. You know, it's sort of like wrestling. Well, no, wrestling, it looks hard, but acting, the whole job is to make it look easy. But it ain't that easy. If you try and do it yourself and you've never done it before, you'll find out. And uh, I thought I thought he was absolutely as good as anybody could be. And. The thing I noticed about all the, and a lot of wrestlers came through and did days. The pain is so real. These guys are so beat up. Mm. They've had so many operations. They're so, they, it hurts to, you know, it's like a, a football player retiring. It's real pain and real damage. And it just, it's really awe inspiring when you think about what they go through. Yeah. People think that there's somehow some special magical way to take seven chair shots to the back. There's not. You're just getting hit in the back with a chair over and over again or a kendo stick or whatever it is. Like, yeah, they they they're taught how to land so that, you know, they can take care of their bodies. But there's so much above and beyond that. You know, once you get into, you know, building a match and doing it 300 times a year, it's like. They're destroying themselves for our entertainment. They're, they're I mean, really what they're doing. <laughs> you leap off the top of the turnbuckle and hit somebody weighing 280 pounds and you both go to the ground. There's no pleasant way to do that that saves your body, really. I mean, it's got to it's got to take its toll in a major way. Yeah, some things you just have to do it. You know, it may be choreographed, predetermined, whatever the case, sure. obviously, but. 
some things you just have to take as part of the performance. There's like you said, there's no, you know, the JR, the announcer used to say, there's no way to learn how to fall off a ladder. You know, they're not going to, you just, you just have to do it. But, you know, for, for Hogan in that movie being so, like you said, the whole movie being built around him and you also at the time you, you were very, this was, that was one of your first, movies so it's not like you could have said okay i have this wealth of experience that i can (laughs) help you through this you were very new as well i was given uh i remember i went to vince uh, because they kept saying do more bigger bigger do more do more and you know i tend to overact anyway so i'm nervous about it uh and so i went to vince and i said vince come on this, this is this is too much. It's too much. And he said, Kurt, you're acting opposite a six, seven guy wearing red spandex. You can't be too big. And I, I and I proved him wrong because I wasn't. <laughs> but, you know, I was in a position to not argue. I would do if he told me to, you know, take off my clothes and dance around. I would have done it. So, well, James has asked that. And I've said no. But with Vince <laughs> at the time, I did it. You're you're also very tall though, so that's the thing. I mean, yes, yeah. Hulk is taller than you, but he's but you're very tall, so it's not like there wasn't this this shocking kind of disparity no. between your heights in that movie either. He did outweigh me by about a hundred pounds, but yes, he uh, he's big. Yeah, and I, and I got to tell you, he and Tiny or uh, Tom, right? Uh, may he rest in peace. Yes, they. Uh, they did a little wrestling thing just for fun. Tom did not have a ghost of a chance. Tom, he could have thrown Tom out of the ring. The, the athleticism and speed and flexibility, which he is trained to do. And Tom, who's basically a weightlifter, it was no, it, it, the difference was stunning to me. I mean, he had, he, they had to, I mean, he had to hold back every scene because he could really, he could really when he wanted to, you know, and I know he, he did it for so long. He basically stopped moving towards the end of his career, his, his career. Right. Uh, but at the time he was fast and quick and strong. Yeah. He was a young and, man. Uh, he was in his prime yeah. and yeah, he'd been doing it. You know, at that point he's doing this 200, 300 nights a year for five or six years by that point. So it's, it's just the muscle memory of the it's second nature. If you, if you're doing right. it that often muscle memory is a good word. Yeah. But you were, you know, at that time it was kind of like uh, that and ghostbusters too, were very close together and you, <laughs> you had fallen into, well, I don't want to say fallen into that's a negative way to put it, but like you're playing these intensely unlikable people in both these <laughs> movies you. and that was your introduction to so many movie fans because uh you know a lot of the people of the same age those movies appealed to people of the same age at the time so right you know, it was like this one two punch of of assholes if i may just say of, thank, you. thank you <laughs> of the impression well, that you left uh and, and james james will tell you this too that you know the first thing you do that anybody notices, they'll try and get you to do that for the next 10 years. Right. That thing until they get tired of you doing that. And then they'll say, you know, the old joke, uh, who's Kurt Fuller? Get me Kurt Fuller. Get me a Kurt Fuller type. Who's Kurt Fuller? That's that's the, uh, the, the arc of a career sometimes. And 
So yeah, I did that and I played a lot of assholes and I was, I was happy to do it at the time. Uh, you know, I wanted, I wanted to work. I love to work and I would have done anything, you know, and they count on that uh, from us actors that we love it and we'll do it. Right. But then I had to start turning them down, which is very hard for me. As James will tell you to turn down a paycheck and I had to do it. No greater, no greater, uh, uh, sacrifice has ever been made by an actor than turning down a job, but I had to to start playing different types of characters. And then I finally got started playing fathers, and now I'm back to playing that type of character. But it, it all sort of makes sense. But you know, I was very happy to be known as something. You know, you got, to be known as something is great. It helped that you you just kept getting more and more handsome. I think that changed the trajectory <laughs> of your career as well. You know what? I'm going to say something, and I shouldn't be i shouldn't be the one to have to say it. There's two other gentlemen here, but I'm going to say it. I'm older. I have zero hair. I'm not even faking, okay? Uh, <laughs> you look at me. Look at me in Ghostbusters 2. Look at me in uh, Wayne's World. I look, I was a chubby, jolly little dumpling, okay? I look much better. My, I mean... Like James, I have incredible bone structure, and yeah. that, right, undeniable. And but I, I, uh, my wife tells me I look better now. That's all I have to say, and I'm going to stick to that. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, it, it it is like kind of like how you say when you're you're playing these parts, and you're there's a fear. That's what made me when you just said that. It made me think of it. It can be a curse or a blessing, <laughs> and when you read about the lives or of different actors particularly character actors, there are some who embrace it and love it and say, I'm working, I'm steadily working. This is an actor's dream. And there's some who find it to be this albatross around their neck. Like I think, because I'm a, I'm a big horror fan. And I think of people like someone like Boris Karloff, who was mm -hmm. incredibly, incredibly thankful and gracious and said, you know, I've never, I've never had to struggle for work. And I'm, I, you know, it, it, it's helped me immensely that I played this monster, even though it stayed with me my whole career, but not everybody feels that way. Some people uh, find it to be a chore, but you know, it's, it's, I guess it's a balance you have to strike. If, if it had resulted in me losing work, I would be resenting it, but it never did. I just kept, it took me a long time to get my first job. I was 34 I sold real estate for 10 years. Uh, and then after I got my first job, I literally, that was 1988 or something. I've never been, never been out of a job. I've never thought, oh, I'm never going to, you know, I thought I'm never going to work again, but that's after a week. I always think that. Uh, but I really have never stopped working, you know, and uh, James is the same way, although he didn't have to wait nine years because he's so handsome. Uh <laughs> But uh, I did, and I had to sort of grow into my look, really. Uh, so yeah, it was. It's all been good. It's all been great. Well, you know, it's it's. Uh, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. There. Oh, I know what I wanted to say. The the. I uh, do that to people. <laughs> you're just so handsome, Kurt. I can't help it. It's, I know. It's... We don't have. We don't have to keep hitting that note. I I think everybody agrees. <laughs> I'm drawn in by you, I but. Get it. But James, Thank we were you. we were. This is what I was thinking of. We were talking a minute ago about the whole kind of like carrying over psych into into wrestling, and I I don't know if 
was there, and this is, I'm mentioning this, it's related to no holds barred, but was there discussion ever of you guys or you, and even in your solo appearance there, actually being the character you played on the show? Was that ever on the table or did they just say you're going to be yourself? When Dulé and I were supposed to do it together, what they had come up with was something that was that walked a very fine line. Like we were, we weren't our characters, but we were basically just sneaking around backstage, causing chaos, like touching things we weren't supposed to touch, setting off pyrotechnics before they were supposed to go off. Like it was a very Sean and Gus sort of engined appearance that they had to scrap when I couldn't show up. Um, but but no, we were we were never going to be in character, but we were basically going to be our characters, yeah. And then when I went solo, it was uh, I think a couple years later, and because they because I was basically the the Miz's ring announcer, it just made more sense to be to be a heel and have fun. Can I ask you a question, James? Of course. Uh, well, and I don't want to take over, but. Uh, did they give you, was it all improper? Did they give you any kind of, uh, you know, beat sheet? And is there, did you know? Uh, there were a couple promo segments backstage that led up to the actual match. And those were scripted. I I did improvise through all of them. And I could see people sweating through their clothes because I, mm. I don't think that that's necessarily something that, that they were used to. But we're in, it's a live show. We're on such a tight schedule. Uh, you know, they can't really, they don't, they can't do multiple takes. You get, you get one shot at it because it's live. So, and I knew that. <laughs> so uh, I, I took a couple, like, I, I took a couple shots at Laurenitis in, in one promo. I made a joke that was borderline um, uh, inappropriate. Uh, I just, I, I, I admire your length, I think is what you said to him. Oh, boy. Yes. <laughs> that's a road day comment if i ever heard one he's a, tall, yeah. he's a tall drink of water so you know i know i could uh i could couch it in yeah there. sure sure he, um, was. sure he was and uh and then once you get down to the to the ring i mean the only thing you're really doing so you're the only thing you're really supposed to do is introduce the maze you know the the town that he's from because we were in his hometown of cleveland um I think I think maybe they gave me like whatever his reported weight was and uh, and say his name, but there was no way I was just going to do that. That's boring. Like, who does that? <laughs> so I gave myself a little run up, a little run, a little runway. Yeah, because they didn't nice. do like you said because they do so much live television and everything's on the fly. They really do like everything to be very tightly scripted and controlled, whereas. Back in the day, especially in the 80s, WWF didn't do a lot of live programming. It was mostly canned and, and pre-recorded, edited later. So actually, the, the wrestlers then, and the, or all the characters, they did have more freedom to improvise. If you watch the stuff from back then, they did get a chance to just, well, here's your bullet points, hit all your marks and do, you know, make put it in your own words. There was more of that than what would happen later on where it became so much more controlled. Yeah, I think I, I will few, say. Okay, no, go ahead. I think there are a few that uh, who are especially good on the mic that maybe operate under a slightly different set of rules. Like, you know, I think I think The Rock was was pretty much doing his his own thing and kind of working off a blueprint. And the same thing with Cena, but 
not everybody is afforded, you know, that kind of leash. Usually they, yeah, they want you to stick to what's on the page. Right. Well, what the reason I mentioned it too is this idea of being your character and breaking into the WWE kind of universe in your fictional role is there is this very hard to find thing, uh, Kurt, where you, and I guess it was right around the time that the movie came out, No Holds Barred, they had you appear. You're oh you're, you're cringing my as God, I say my. this. They had you appear as Brett. Oh, how do you find why? On yeah. Wrestling Challenge, which at the I time I, I was a kid, and it was even as a kid, even at whatever I was, 13, 14, I'm going, how am I supposed to take this? So he's we're supposed to believe he really is Brell, but then why isn't Hulk Hogan Rip? And why is uh you know um, what how do we explain this? I thought in the in the credits, the man obviously mm-hmm. has a he's an actor. So it it was very bizarre that you're playing Brell mm-hmm. on actual WWF television. I'm only gonna need two hours to explain this, but I'm gonna try and keep it short. So they had me come to Stanford. They said for the premiere of the movie. Okay, that's what they told me. So I show up at this non-premiere movie theater and they're showing the movie and they're showing the movie and there are just regular people it's packed it's exciting uh and then at the end they have me they have me come out and mean gene okerland is there right and they just say to me this is all they say there is no script there's no bullet points they all they say to me all right just go uh, talk uh, talk about the movie to gene i go what do you want me to say well just you know what to do no, I don't know what to do. So I go up there and I just figure I'll, you know, Brell is saying the movie was, the ending was changed, that I right. was, uh, my t- did Zeus won, not Hulk. I want to, you know, heads are going to roll. And, and Gene was just, you know, being himself. And I just riffed on that. I didn't know what else to do. And then, and then there's a little kid. He must be eight or nine years old. I don't know if this, they probably, if they were smart, they cut this out. He's just gone to the movie theater, okay, with his dad to see the movie. He doesn't know what's going on. He's eight. And they say, see the cookie in his hand? Go take it from him. I go, what? He goes, yeah, no, it's fine. Just go do it. And so I go up to this little kid, and I'm tall. I'm tall. And I go, what are you doing with that cookie? You steal that cookie. You know, this is my cookie. You don't you have any money with it? And this kid, he starts to quiver and cry. And I go, oh, my God. Uh, but but I'm going now. So I go. I say, take it. I, I go. Get out of here, and don't you ever come back. And he leaves. And we finish. And I go running up to him. I go, I'm so sorry. That was just a joke. I love you. I think you're. He was crying. Okay. Oh my goodness. Brell made this little kid cry. I think that and part I, might have been cut. Actually, I think it was. I hope it was. I mean, I, I can't believe they had the taste to cut it, but they did. I mean, who who pays for his therapy bills? Okay, you don't know what that does to a kid. I was really mean to him, really mean. Not Kurt. Kurt's not paying for those. No, I'm not. No, you got yeah, that, that right. That poor kid's probably in his forties now, trying to make sense of what happened yeah. to him that day. Yeah. But what uh, happened, Daddy? What happened, Daddy? Yeah. And I and I have to ask too because I've been I've waited thirty whatever years to 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 hash this out. The fact that. Your character in that movie, and and I know, like you said, it's not the most fleshed out three dimensional 
character or story. But your character is murdered at the end of that movie. I mean, it seems to be that the Rip character, Hulk Hogan, kills you, which I have mm-hmm. to say, yes, you're a jerk in that movie. You're unscrupulous and all that. It doesn't feel like Grell deserves to die. Uh, that's all. So I don't know if there was any discussion of that. It's it's really, it's a dark ending for your character in a, in a very silly movie. Yeah. Well, uh, no, do I think Brel deserved to die? There's an argument to be made for it, sure. But also, you know, why not keep him alive? He's a he's a he's a good bad guy. You know, they were thinking there was this was going to be the first of eight. You know, no holds barred. Believe me. And what happens is he's electrocuted in his. Uh, I'm electrocuted in my whatever that room is where uh, people, like a control room. People yeah. control room. Thank you. So they say to me, uh, okay, you go up there. There's going to be some sparks. I go, sparks? What, what kind of sparks? I've never done a movie before, really. They go, oh, it's fine. It, 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 it doesn't hurt any more than a cigarette burn. And I go, cigarette burn? Well, have you ever been burned by a cigarette? That's what they do to torture people to get them to talk. You know, That's what they did to, to, to Vietnam captives You know, at the time. That was what I could go back to. I go, cigarette burn? And they go, oh, don't you know, it's not going to be anything. So they convince me to do it. And I go up there and inexplicably, I'm able to pull things that are bolted in, supposedly, you know, out of the wall. I'm able to ter- tear machines apart, tear things down with my superhuman strength that I suddenly have. <laughs> and there weren't just a few sparks. There were a billion sparks. Okay. And no, they didn't hurt as much as cigarette burns. I'm going to give them that, but they hurt, okay? And I thought that I was permanently disfigured because they kept hitting my face and they were hot and they hit, hit, and hit. Uh, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't wait to die. I could not wait to die. It was, it, I mean, I've never, I've never again put myself in that situation. Uh, but, you know, Zeus died. Right. And Tom, Tom said he fell off some balcony onto the uh, onto the ring and then the ring flattens around him and he looked at it and he goes I'm going to need $3,000 to do this and they went what? he goes this is a big stunt I'll, I need $3,000 and they shut down production and they gave him $3,000 wow. and he did it he really was made yeah. for the wrestling business. That's he was. Yeah. I, I should have asked for something for to get electrocuted, but I did not. I've heard that there was a lot of kind of rewriting that happened with that movie where we're at the last minute kind of like and I, what I mean by that is I guess that like Vince and Hulk themselves basically took it away from the screenwriter or whatever and said, well, we're going to just kind of like make this, a, you know, a little bit more what we want it to be. And I is, is, was there any, did you have any sense of that from where you were at? Well, I know that in the original script, Hulk shows up, comes down the Hudson river in a submarine. Okay. That was the opening scene of the movie. Okay. And, you know, I don't know what happened after that, but he came down and uh, there's no way they were paying for that. However, they were going to do it. It was not in the budget. And uh, I think Vince put the uh, Ixnay on that. But I knew the writer uh, and 
I didn't hear. I mean, I know there's a story that they got in a window hotel room and right. who knows, consumes whatever substances they wanted to consume and stayed up for three days and uh, and wrote the script. But I, I don't buy it. I don't buy I'm sure they changed the script, but I can't believe he wasn't there while they were changing it because I, it just didn't seem like it was written by those two. It, it just was. It had a lot going on that you don't see in the wrestling world. They would have had to have come up several notches uh, in terms of plotting right. to do that script. It was no Lawrence Davis script, I'll tell you that. It was no Lawrence Davis script. You've but brought I'm it back sure, full circle. Very yeah, good, very good. I'm sure they had input, just like we had input with Lawrence Davis. Ah, that was very smooth. But, you know, it, I'm you. glad you did that because I was trying to figure out how to get back to it as well. But uh, but this is all to say, and I, I thank you for indulging me in 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 picking your brains on on you know this the, a this notorious <laughs> movie, and b these appearances, oh. James, that you did a decade ago on a wrestling show. So I, I thank you for indulging me. But it's all to say that uh, what you've now done coming together, the collaboration that you've now created. I found to be very engaging and fascinating. And I think, and I only say this in terms of wrestling fans, because I know that's who's listening to my show. I think that if, if for people that are in, in the anywhere in the Connecticut area and are wrestling fans to absolutely do yourself a favor and go to see this show. Thank you, Brian. Um, yeah. we've, got, we've got room for you. We'd love to see you come, come say hi and, uh, and, and share this experience with us hundred percent. Yeah. Come on, I'll take another picture with you, Brian. You can sell it on eBay. You can get 45 cents for it. So Now, I, I heard you uh, say in another interview that you would be willing to sign no-holds-barred uh, merchandise for people that come down. I don't know if anyone's taking you up on it, A, and B, if you stand by that. Uh, I stand by it. By it because some. only, one, only one person out there with a no-holds-barred DVD. So, yes, he can stand by it. That <laughs> one person shows up. Uh, Exactly right. <laughs> and I know uh, legacytheaterct.org is that the best way for people to f find out more or to even get tickets yes. if they want? Very easy to navigate. You go to their site, it shows you the season. There's a big banner that says Masters of Puppets. You click on it, then there's a button that says buy tickets, and boom, you're in business. Sounds easy to me. Well, gentlemen, I can't thank you enough for doing this. Uh, and you've been very generous with your time. And this has been such a great fascinating conversation thank you so much thanks for having oh, thank us, you for your, yeah thanks for your interest man it really is appreciated there you have it folks my conversation with james rode rodriguez and kurt fuller of the new wrestling themed play masters of puppets playing at the legacy theater in branford connecticut i just want to mention that the show is only running until Sunday, June 11th. It, it is a very limited run. So if you are interested in going, absolutely get your tickets while you can at LegacyTheaterCT.org. Check it out. It comes highly recommended by Shut Up and Wrestle. And I also want to thank Kurt and James for being such good sports, as I said, and being so open and gracious to talking about their participation in the world of professional wrestling, specifically WWE. It was a blast, especially talking to Kurt about the unforgettable experience of making No Holds Barred, a true wrestling 
camp cult classic if ever there was one. Now, hope you enjoyed that. We've got a lot of great stuff on the way. Now, I don't have to tell you since I already plugged it before that next week's episode is going to finally be Abraham Josephine Reisman, author of Ringmaster, Vince McMahon and the Unmaking of America, the brand new book. I can assure you that is a compelling and fascinating conversation. So stay tuned for next week. Other great guests in the weeks to come. I have Irish Davey O'Hannon on the way. You're not going to want to miss that one, as well as pro wrestling writer and historian Tim Keenan, along with a whole host of other guests on the way here at Shut Up and Wrestle. Keep listening. Subscribe to the show. You can find us in so many ways. There's our website, suawpod.com. There's also, of course, Podbean, Podcast Addict, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts, you'll find Shut Up and Wrestle. While you're at it, join the Facebook group, Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon. Always a fun time to be had there. You can also find and subscribe to the Wrestling News, which I take part of as a member of the Arcadian Vanguard team, thewrestlingnews.com. Also, it's available on the YouTube page for Arcadian Vanguard. Find it there. And the Pro Wrestling Illustrated podcast, I'm the co-host of that show as well with Al Castle of PWI, and you can find that wherever you find your podcast as well, the PWI podcast. If you want to pick up my book, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original chic, you can find it in print, digital, and audio form at Amazon, or wherever books are sold, Barnes & Noble, you know where to go to get books. Well, that's where you go to get my book. The magazines I write for, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, you can get at pwi-online.com. And as I mentioned at the start of the show, there's also Inside the Ropes magazine, which you can get appropriately enough at insidetheropesmagazine.com. If you're looking for me on social media, I can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Brian R. Solomon. My Facebook page, Brian Solomon Writer, that's my author page on Facebook. And on any of those social media platforms, you will find the link to my author website on the World Wide Web. Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been... Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and saying, I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a great big flame in your heart. So long, wrestling fans. 